if you look at your BBK books, there is this question that is asked. Now, when Jesus comes, what will he do? When Jesus comes, what will he do? Now, if you look at your BBK books, there is this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. Can we please read together? Reading. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, we have emphasized again and again the reason why God gives us prophecies. And the prophecies have been fulfilled so precisely for the first coming. There are more prophecies about the second coming than the first in the Bible. Why does God do that? <clears throat> prophecies are to make the believers really think about what will surely happen and therefore change, reorder our lives now in anticipation of what is to come, right? That is the key reason why God gives us prophecies. So the Christian must always study eschatology <clears throat> with the intent in your heart. I want to know the future because... I want to change my life now in view of that future. <clears throat> now, Satan, Satan's powerful tool is to deceive the Christian into thinking for, about living for now, for the now, for the current life. <clears throat> but God always points the Christian to eternity, also points the unbelievers to eternity. Well, if any one of us seated here in your heart, you deceive people into thinking that you are saved, but actually in your heart, you do not want to turn to God at this point of time. Maybe later. Now, you need to take heed because Christ can return anytime. And if you are not saved, then you will not be part of the rapture and you will go through the period of great tribulation. Come to the Lord now. Now, we come to this passage. God makes it so clear over and over again in various places, and especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, there will be a time of rewards for the believer. There will be that moment where God says, now everything that you do, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Christian, live in that very great expectation that you will stand before God, one day, and everything that you have done in your life, what you lived for, how you've lived, what you've pursued, will all be flashed before you and will be tested by fire. Now, how exactly this will be, we do not know, but God describes it like all your works before that and God will look at it and if it is not done for Christ, in other words, your life was not lived for Christ. You live, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but you live your life pretty much for yourself, for your own aims. And you think, well, I go to church once in a while or I go to church every week. 
that is good enough. But God says, every man's work shall be made manifest. Of what sort it is. For those of you who serve, God says, of what sort it is. Do you do it for pride? Do you do it for position? Do you do it for praise of men? What is it that, you, that motivates you to serve God? <clears throat> for those of you who simply just busy yourself with pursuing your studies, your job, your career, making money, your health. Now, I'm not saying those things in themselves are evil, but that is your main motivation in life. The Christian life is just, well, part of your many uh, pursuits on earth, and that is all. Well, God says, you will have a life that well, will suffer loss in eternity. Please look at this verse again and let, us, let, let it sink into us. Now, God says, <clears throat> you either receive a reward or you suffer loss. Christians can suffer loss. You will not suffer the loss of your soul. Yes, you are saved by the blood of Christ. That is why God says, God has laid the foundation. No one can lay that foundation. The foundation of salvation is sure. You will be in heaven forever. Be sure of that. But God says even that believer can suffer loss. Don't think that heaven means, I just want to go there. I'm looking forward to heaven. Think again, I've mentioned in the last session. Are you really, really, ready to meet Christ today? Whether it's you die now suddenly or Christ returns suddenly. Are you really ready to meet Christ? Don't think that, oh, if, if I get to heaven now, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sicknesses, uh, no more financial problem. So wonderful. God says it's true. Those things will be so. But here, his key reminder about eschatology is, Will you suffer loss? Now, Christian, if we are really examining our own lives, I think most of us will say, Lord, if you look deeply enough, you will say, Lord, please delay your coming. I am not ready. Look at my life. Look at the way I spend my time, my resources. I am not ready. Now, by and large, students, if you're told exam will be, will be at this time, most of you will feel, well, delay longer, delay longer. I want to be more ready. I want to be more ready. Why? Because you want to really do well. Why is it not the same when it comes to Christ? Christ's coming. We really want to be pleasing to Him, not have failed Him, not have um, been unfaithful to Him. And so much more that, Lord, I need to get right in my life. I'm an elderly. I look back in my life. All the failures, all the wastes, of time, energy, resources. I failed you, Lord. Let me have some more time to get right with you. Or are you going to say, well, I don't care. I just want to live as I am. Then, well, take heed to these words. Suffer loss. Forever, in eternity, saved. So, but a life on earth that has been lost. Please know that God has a very good plan for you in eternity. His plan for you in eternity is not so that you have no, no sickness, no problems. Yes, you will not have those things. You will have the glorified body. We studied that. But God's plan for you is far more than that. There are rewards. There are those that will rule with Him. I'm not saying that you're motivated by that. But I'm saying that God is saying, this is a very good plan for you, but you throw it all away forever and ever. You are just a safe soul, but a life that has been lost. Suffer loss, all right? 
So that is what Christ, one of the things that Christ will do. Now the next one, Christ will judge the world. When Christ comes, there will be a great judgment for the unbelievers. Please be very sure of your salvation. Even if you die now, you will also be resurrected one day and face the great judgment day, the great white throne judgment. You will face that. Next one, to deliver Israel. Look at your BBK books. Now, this is something that we cannot emphasize enough. Look at Romans chapter 11, all right, over here. Romans chapter 11. Now, can we please read together? And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say, the branches were broken off, and I, that I may be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, and of them, on them which fell, severity, but towards thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. Now let's read Romans 11, 1 to 5. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, two things to notice here. First, God says that Israel is not cast off forever. Now, we will read many commentaries, books, Christian books written by pastors, written by professors of Bible colleges that will talk about Israel is permanently put aside by God and, and the church, the New Testament church has replaced Israel permanently. It's a very common belief, not especially among Presbyterians. Why are we Bible Presbyterians? Because we interpret this literally. God has not put away Israel permanently at all. God forbid. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. No. This covenant that God made with Israel will be fulfilled. And we saw that God will draw Israel back to himself during the Great Tribulation, right? So whenever you read anything that says that, you must know that is a wrong, absolutely unbiblical thinking. It is untrue. Because the moment you believe that, and this is kind of related to the message, main message today, you are saying that God is a God that breaks His covenant. God made a covenant with Israel and He will fulfill the covenant. It will be so. Alright, so that's number one. So never subscribe to that thinking that Israel is permanently put away. God is a God that is faithful to His covenant. Now the second thing is this. God also says that, well, as He talk about Israel not being put away, Permanently, he said that there will be a faithful remnant, faithful remnant, and it is 
said that even so at this present time, a remnant according to the election of grace, there will be a group of people that will remain faithful to God in the time of apostasy. God promises that. So how, what are we to learn about that today? That comes to the second part of this BBK. Now, we have to think about are we part of that remnant or not? Look at your BBK books. Now, the response to the message. We want to look at the attitude of unbelievers. Then the attitude of the apostate church. Then the attitude of the dead orthodoxy. Then the attitude of the believing Christian. All right? And some errors about the end times, about Christ's second coming. Now, first and foremost, having known that God says He will preserve a remnant, what is the attitude of people today about the second coming of Christ? First, look at the attitude of unbelievers. All right? Now, let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. It is in your BBK book. Now, let us read together. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, here are those that are unbelieving. They will scoff. When you share the gospel with them, and then they will say, hey, oh, I heard this thing about Christians believing that, that Jesus will return from heaven one day. Oh, what a joke that is. We've lived for billions of years, right, to them. They're not even talking about creation. We've lived for billions of years. No such thing. And God says, well, God will return. They will mock. Say, all these years, what has happened? Nothing. How do you feel when your classmates mock at you? You mean you believe in a religion where, where this man went to heaven, floated to heaven, and then he's going to float back down one day? Are you serious? You know, we live in a scientific age. How can you believe in such things? Now, today, there are believers themselves. They get ashamed. They get embarrassed. And they even begin to subscribe to this thinking, yeah, I think this, this, is, this is not sensible. And then you ignore this whole eschatology. Now, I'm not saying that whenever you preach the gospel, you must talk about Christ's coming, all right? I'm not saying that. You must preach how to be saved. You must preach about sin. You must preach about judgment. But when it comes to a time where people mock you about your belief about the second coming of Christ, the bodily second coming of Christ, you must stand firm in your heart and not be moved. Christians today do not study the Bible. Churches do not teach the Word of God. And when they do, they just pass over things very briefly. They do not go into detail about the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is a very important doctrine in the believer's life. It is one of those things, well, that was our theme last year. It's one of those things that the believer must constantly keep his eyes upon, constantly look forward to it, because that is what motivates and changes your life now. But if Satan can deceive churches and believers into removing that or not believing in that, you will then just cruise on this earth and not think about the future. It's a very important doctrine. A doctrine that very few today talk about, let alone think about. Is it something that occupies your heart very much? 
or you also feel that, well, I think this is a bit of a, well, one of the things in the Bible that is a bit embarrassing to talk about, to think about. Now look at your BBK books. Now look at the paragraph um, that talk about they scoff at those who perceive, persist in preaching the return of Christ. They dismiss them as alarmists and ignorant prophets of doom. They say that when you, when you talk about a God that will come back and judge the world, you are an alarmist. You just want to frighten people. I remember once there was a, there was a university student that joined us and he stayed for, for, with us for many weeks, even months, all right? Well, he received many of the teachings and he was very excited. He participated in all the Bible studies and outings and all that. Well, he wanted to learn and he was very interested. But then at one church camp, this second return of Christ was preached. The coming judgment of God was preached clearly. And after the camp, he said, you are prophets of doom and you use fear. You use fear to make people believe in your religion. And he left. There are people who are like that. They say that this whole doctrine about God coming and God will judge the world one day is just simply religion's way, Christianity's way of making people turn to this religion. There are people who are like that, exactly as what the Bible says. For this we are willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in water. What is this saying? Now, the proof of a global flood is so clear today, but they would be willingly ignorant. They would come up with all sorts of theories, so-called scientific theories, so-called, they're not scientific, right? Theories to prove that, well, the earth has been around for billions of years. In other, in other words, no creator, no creation. Evolution. They're willingly ignorant. God has given all these facts available to show that the world was once judged by God and totally immersed in water. They would ignore that. No such judgment. Because that judgment... After the judgment, God said, I will come and judge the world the second time, and that time it will be final, and it will be by fire. So they want to ignore all these things. No such thing as second return, second judgment. Christian, have you fallen also to that? To that? Have you also subscribed to that idea? The second coming is not real? Well, then we see the second attitudes of the apostate church. Christians today, and so-called churches today, subscribe to this erroneous or false idea of second coming. Now, they believe, well, that the Bible does talk about a return of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a return of Jesus Christ. We can't deny that. But they interpret it completely differently. Now, if you ever come across Christians or churches that say this to you, you must realize that it is a liberal theology. Liberal theology. Liberal means, well, we don't take the Word of God literally, you know. The Bible, now if you look at, you look at um, your BBK books, all right? Now, there is this idea that the Bible, um, for them, large portions and vital truths of the Bible are regarded as legends and myth. Legends and myth. Creation, the fall, the flood, the atonement, miracles in the Bible, virgin birth of Christ, resurrection, second coming. Now, all these are myths, means stories. 
there are stories made up by men um, to give some ideas, like legends, that is all. So that is the thinking of many churches today, many, many Bible colleges in this world today. Actually, openly teaches this. The whole idea about the second coming is to teach this. And that is the interpretation. That this is not about a bodily return of Christ. Right? It is not about the physical bodily return and visible return of Jesus Christ to earth. Their interpretation is when God talks about the second return and Jesus Christ's return, they say it means this. The spirit of Jesus Christ means what he propounded, his philosophy of life, all right? his, um, his, what he wants mankind to be, all right? means his spirit, his attitude towards the world. His spirit, is, will be, his spirit will be found in the believers on earth. All right? So when he says second coming, means this attitude will, of Jesus Christ and his philosophy and his, his um, principles about what human social life should be, will be embodied in his followers. So he has returned. Did you get it? So that attitude, that aim of what the world should be has returned into people, his followers' lives. And then they live by those principles. They interpret the second return of Christ as a spirit, an attitude that will return to earth one day. Well, some would also interpret it as well, the spirit means Christ returns spiritually already. That's all. All right? Where? where? Don't know. But it, by spirit, in his, he came in the spirit and that was done already. Cults believe that. So there are all these erroneous interpretations. Why did we go through such details about the second return of Christ in the book of Revelation? It is very literal. The Bible describes in great detail the destruction of earth. The people that the, when God judged the world, that these kings, famous people, these ordinary people will just be struck dead and, and the earth will be filled with dead bodies. Blood will flood the oceans. That is how severe it is. And, and the vultures and the birds of prey will come and eat the flesh. God talks about a very literal judgment in great detail. But people want to shut this off. So the liberals today and the modernists, they simply say these are myths and legend. Now, why is this important to understand? Why is this important to understand? You see, to them, the spirit of Jesus means what he desires for mankind will return. What was Jesus' desire for, for this earth? That there will be peace ruled by him when he rules. That, that, that righteousness will be the, the common thing, the norm. Instead of today, unrighteousness rules the earth. Those who are righteous are the minority. So God says there will be this time, like the millennium, during the millennium, there will be this time where righteousness will rule, He will rule, and anyone who, who, um, who is unrighteous will be judged immediately. So there is this so-called utopia, social utopia, heaven on earth. Now, when we interpret the bodily, physical, visible return of Christ as a spirit that comes back to society, what it led to is, for example, the social gospel. The social gospel. 
Because it's all about making this world by human effort, using Bible principles to try and turn this world into what God says only He can turn it into during the millennium. But man say, no, he's not physically returning. It's about an attitude. So the duty of churches, the duty of Christians is to make this world better, a better place. Social transformation through man's effort, the social gospel. Again, I say, why is this important? This is exactly what churches today focus on. I'm not saying that Christians should not be um, concerned about human beings, but that is not our calling. That is not our purpose on earth. Refusing to accept that Jesus will physically return but interpret it as the attitude of turning this world to a better place has caused the church now to make the transformation of society as the key focus today. Hence, churches spend resources, money, effort, and constantly about going to well, poor countries, set up schools, um, 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 get society to be more just, uh, fight for social cause, causes and all that. Now, I'm not saying the, those things in themselves are sinful, but that is not the calling of the church. That is not the focus of the church. But because the, of the interpretation that is a return of, of an attitude, then the church feels that then that is what we must do. Make the world exactly like how God says it should be, but by social enterprise, social effort. So churches today, they get very involved with government um, on how to improve things. They spend millions and millions of dollars to try and um, um, invest in countries to build better infrastructure, to have more policemen, to police society. So they put in a lot of effort to make this world a better place. And then the focus is just about make people's life better. Do we want to make people's life better? Did Christ want to make people's life better? Of course. But the better is a spiritual better. That you realize that you're a sinner. That you realize that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. It is not about better physically and that is all. There will be that better physically during the millennium when Christ rules on earth. But it's always been a spiritual betterment of people. But with this social gospel, the main focus is working together to better the life of people on earth. That is all. So you can, you will see, um, well, if you visit, like, you see your Christians, friends, um, you say, what did they do? Well, a lot of mission trips, mission trips, mission trips. Their mission trips is mainly about social work, building this, building that, setting up um, this, that infrastructure, because they believe that they need to make the world what Christ wants it to be because that is the meaning of the second return of Christ. Now, I want you to also then notice this. Why did we spend so much time drawing the timeline and tracing the timeline of Christ's second return and the millennium? Why? Because the wrong interpretation of scriptures will lead also to this focus that is wrong in the believer's life. Now, we drew the timeline. This is the church age. Christ will return. When? This is the secret return. We do not know. All right? Christians will be raptured. All believers will be raptured. And then that begins the seven years of the great tribulation. We trace that in the Bible. It is after that that the second visible return of Christ. 
Which liberals say, no, it's not a visible return. It's just a, an attitude that will return. But the Bible, we trace and we saw the actual physical return of Christ at the end of this seven years, where there'll be great judgment, we read, and then the beginning of the 1,000 earthly years of earthly physical, earthly rule on earth by Christ. Why did we trace all this? Because, now, this is the pre-millennial return of Christ, pre-meal. That is what we subscribe to, because the Bible is clear about that. Why is it important to trace this? Because there are people that believe in post-meal, post-millennium. Means they, they, they interpret as Christ will return after the millennium. Now, millennium is a period of utopia, like heaven or utopia, right? We saw how wonderful it will be, where righteousness rule, unrighteousness will be judged immediately. So post-meal, people believe that unless we are, unless Christian and churches focus on making the world a utopia, then, only then, post-meal, only after we have achieved this by our own social gospel, social uh, enterprise, then Christ will return. So today, churches focus a lot on the social gospel because that is the wrong because of the wrong interpretation they focus on the wrong thing so theology doctrines are very crucial understanding these things is to make sure that you do not fall into error all right so post meal even our meal all right which most most presbyterians are our meal means there is no physical millennium we are now living in the millennium so in that sense also there are millennialists can begin to say, well, we need to make this world like a utopia as well. That is why most churches, they focus a lot on this and they get distracted from the true gospel work. They get distracted from the true gospel work and they feel good that we are doing a lot of social work because they believe that that is what it should be, the Spirit of Christ return back to earth through the embodiment of believers living to try and make a utopia on earth. And this part gets misplaced. So they will go and do social work. They don't care about doctrines. They don't care about working with unbelievers. They don't care about working with cults. As long as we make the world a better place, then the true gospel is lost. And people think that just, people think that, well, Christianity is about making my life better. And then they say, yes, I want to be a Christian. And they will end up in hell. So please understand, doctrines are very important. So the attitude of the apostate church is this. It's a spiritual, a spirit of Christ returning, that is all. So they live for that. Now, the second thing, date orthodoxy. Date orthodoxy. What is this about? That is the second attitude that we must be careful of. Yes, we got the right doctrines. We got this whole picture all right. But date orthodoxy, as we've briefly alluded to in the church camp, is we know, we are orthodox. We know well and know the truth correctly. We believe in the correct truths and all that, but it is dead. What do I mean? Now look at your BBK books. Dead orthodoxy. Now, at the spiritual and practical levels, these men have no real interest. 
Well, they do not talk about the Lord's coming, neither do they lead lives that reflect this belief. So you know about all this, but you don't really talk about this. You're not concerned about the second return, but you have the right doctrines. If, I, if anyone were to query you about the second return, you can correct them. You don't talk about the second coming in the sense of you are really looking forward to it, you are preparing for it, you want to be ready for it. You live with that focus on meeting Christ. That is so real in your life, it changes your life. If that is not true in our lives, in BPCWA worshippers, you attend Bible studies, you know the Word of God inside out, you know it, you continue to study the Word of God, that is very good. But it does not change the way you live now in view of the orthodox understanding of what is to come. Now, that is very, very likely danger for churches like ours. Focus on the Word, focus to be doctrinally sound, defend the truth, promote the truth, teach the truth. But unless that truth of what Christ say about His coming really grip your life and you really meditate and let that be your driving force, living now in the light of that is dead orthodoxy. Don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I'm attending a sound church that is good enough. And that is the case. People will not leave sound churches. But they stay there as just pew warmers, that is all. They look at other churches, unsound, unsound. I, I don't want to be part of that. But neither do they change their life today at all. Is your life truly, truly gripped with such urgency, with such reality that the real Christ, his bodily, physical return will happen one day? Whether you get raptured, whether you, you get resurrected at that time, it will happen. And your whole life is transformed and, and um, ordered according to, to that. Then it's not a date of the doxy. So be careful of that. Now, then let's go to the promise, all right? The promise of those who, who wait patiently. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, finds so doing. Blessed. Blessed is the Christian that is always found waiting for the Lord. Always found waiting for the Lord means what? Well, what is the test? What is the test? My life is always waiting for the Lord. Just check. Just check. What do you spend your waking hours on? Students who are preparing for an exam spend their waking hours studying, preparing. Elderly, what is your retirement life like? What is it focused on? Is it prayer and the word and living a testimony for the Lord, correcting all the wrongs in your life, repenting, living a life of obedience? What is it spent on? Is it just gardening, eating, sightseeing, holidaying, and that is all? You see, dead orthodoxy is I know all this, but it doesn't influence my life. The test is that. What do you spend your money, your resources, your energies on, young people, families? That is the test, whether it's dead or living orthodoxy. What is it? Are you truly the blessed servant who is waiting for the Lord? These are the tests. Why do you work? Why do you study? Why do you want health? Why do you want resources? Why? All to live for the Lord. Then you are blessed. All right? So that is the true test. 
Now, finally, we have to warn ourselves of this. Warn ourselves of this. Beware of false prophets. Now, the word of God is clear. Now, shall we read Matthew 24, 36, all right? But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. God is very clear. No man knows. Look up here. No man knows about this, this coming, all right? This secret coming where God will rapture us. No one knows. This you will know because it's seven years from people disappearing from earth. You can calculate. But this from the, in the churches, when will Christ come and rapture all the believers and take us to heaven? When? No one knows. Why is it important to emphasize this? Look at your BBK books. The Seventh-day Adventists, through the prophecies of Mrs. Ellen G. White, predicted Christ will return in 1844. These dates were false, disastrous. And then they just said, oh, Christ returned spiritually. Now, there will always be false prophets that will calculate and say, I can tell you exactly when Christ will return. And very sadly, many Christians fall into such foolishness. They follow them. They get excited. Now, a few years back, there was a visitor to our church. He attended for a few weeks, seemed very interested, very excited. Then he began to talk to people in church that we can know when Christ's first return, his silent return will be. And then he came up to me one Sunday and said, um, you know, Pastor, can you let me have um, some time on the pulpit? I said, what for? He said, because I want to show your congregation Based on calculations, we know exactly when Christ is coming back. And I say, the Bible tells us very clearly, no man, not even the angels. You know? I say, yes, it can be calculated. So he kept insisting that it can be and kept wanting time on the pulpit. And his interpretation was, all the elaborate, all the elaborate proofs, you know? All the very seemingly convincing calculations. And he said, Christ will return, I can't remember, a few months' time. It's, it's very urgent. You must let me tell your congregation. It's coming very soon, a few months' time. And I say, well, let me ask you. If Christ, and I'm very sure, Christ will not come back at the time you, you say you know he will return. Now, are you willing to come up and say that you are sorry, I am ashamed, I did not believe God's word, I was foolish, and I want to apologize to you all, I am a cult. Are you willing to do that? He said, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm very sure. I said, are you willing to do that? And then he kept quiet. A few months later, nothing happened. All right? There will be people like that. But the problem was this. I said, now, please stop talking to the people about this. He went around convincing people, even in the congregation. I said, we welcome you to worship with us. But the moment you, you spread falsehood, you are no longer welcome here. We have to stop this. Now, believers don't get, especially young believers, don't get excited about this. And all these calculations, there are many cults, many so-called Christians, they are very intent on doing all these calculations. Books are written on it. Just ignore it and say, stupid waste of time. Now, last year I say, why does Christ not want us to know when he returns? Students, if you know when your exams are, five months' time, most likely, you will play for four months, study for two months. But if you do not know when exam is, and the teacher just say any time, what will you do? Constantly prepare. God does not want us to know, I believe, for that reason, 
that we will say, well, when I'm older, enjoy myself, later then I get right with God. Then you suffer loss. God wants us to be constantly ready. I hope that this study of eschatology will transform our lives and we will not just be dead orthodox. Let's pray.